I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Violent crime through the roof in this country. We're going to talk about that tonight. Mark Meadows, Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, is suing the January 6th commission and much, much more coming up. And I'm right. The narrative. We talk a lot about the narrative. It's part of the reason I'm so hard on the right is this whole narrative thing. What, what am I talking about? Well, here's the thing. It's hard for non-political people, people who aren't watching my show right now, it's hard for non-political people to accept where we are as a nation. So let's let's start there. Where are we as a country? We are a country still full of people who love the place, just like you. However, however, leadership matters a lot. The leaders of our cultural institutions hate the United States of America. They really hate you, but they hate the country as a whole. That's hard to accept. That's hard for a non-political person who doesn't really pay attention, that's hard for them to accept. But it is true. The Federal Bureau of Investigation hates your guts, would happily throw you in prison. Movies, the people who make the movies we watch, they hate your guts, despise you. The entire Democratic Party, they hate you. They would throw you in prison or worse if, if, if they were allowed to do so. The CDC, the FDA, the Boy Scouts, the cultural institutions, half the churches in this country up there whining about white privilege. They hate your guts. 
That's hard for a normal person to accept. But let's set them aside for a moment. Let's just be honest. That's where we are as a country. So let's get to the narrative. Here's what happens whenever anything, anything happens in this country. It doesn't matter whether it's Russian collusion, Brett Kavanaugh, COVID, whatever the case may be. Whenever any major story happens or something that's presented to you as a major story, whenever it happens, all those groups of people who hate you, they all are going to frame whatever happened in a way that goes after you. Remember, none of these people ever care about the actual story. They don't care about coronavirus. They don't care about this mass shooting here. They don't care about that. They look at every single thing because they have a deep-seated hatred for you. They look at every single thing as, how can I, how can I frame this to destroy the people I hate? They set a narrative right off the bat. Now, let's pause there. Let's just acknowledge what I just said is true because it is true. What choice do people have then? What chance, I should say, do people have then? Well, there is a chance out there. The right, the pundits and politicians, people with big platforms on the right, they are significant. I mean, not just this TV show. I do a radio show, too. That They're big. They're huge. You have guys like Tucker Carlson, those writers people love that. There are people that are huge out there and hugely influential. They are able to cut through some of the left's narrative noise and get real truth to people. The only chance the average person has of getting real truth in this country is to hear it from the right. If you pay attention to right-wing news outlets, for the most part, you're the most informed person in the United States of America on what the truth actually is. So they have a chance. That's our one chance. We lost every other part of the culture. It's all gone. Like I said, even the churches, the, ch the chance we have is the politicians and pundits on the right. So when something huge happens and they're setting a narrative that's aimed at you, the right is the only chance we have. And they fail time and time and time again. Not because they don't know what's right and what's wrong, because they don't have the guts to step up and say something. That's why the right fails time and time again. Oh, I know they'll come around eventually. The second the narrative has finally been cemented in the minds of half the American public, when they've got along with it the entire time, then the right will do the lick your finger stick in the air. Oh, oh, uh, I guess this COVID stuff actually could lead to tyranny. Uh, maybe I was wrong pushing the panic early on. You can always count on the right to arrive at the correct position on an issue at the precise moment it ceases doing any meaningful good at all. Because the narrative is everything. The narrative early on is everything. Not coming around a year later, oh guys, I figured it out. It looks like they're just going to try to sell us vaccines forever. Oh, thanks, genius. That information was more helpful back when they were setting the narrative. Which brings me to crime. You see, 12 major cities have broken their homicide record in 2021. 12 of them. These numbers are staggering. Portland up 100%. Rochester, 144. Philly up 46. Austin, Texas up 175. I, I, my sister moved, lived in Austin and had to move out the places so bad. 
It's terrible. But what does this have to do with the narrative? Jesse, what are you talking about? Well, I haven't forgotten and I haven't forgiven what happened with the narrative after St. George Floyd died. You remember that video. It was an ugly video, obviously. I'm not sitting here praising the video. It was hard to watch. No matter which side you fall down on, it was tough to look at. Cop, knee on his neck. He's sitting there crying. The dude's clearly deranged. It dies. But immediately in the wake of St. George Floyd dying, the narrative was trying to be set by the left. They, they didn't care. No, none of them cared about George Floyd. None of them. They didn't care about, they don't care about racism. They all looked at that and thought to themselves, oh, oh. We got an opportunity here. We got an opportunity here to destroy everything we hate. We got an opportunity here to wreck these American cities. We have an opportunity here to loot and burn and murder and cause chaos and disaster. Let's, let's make sure everyone thinks America is an evil racist place and the cops are the problem in the urban black community. That was immediately what they went to. Okay, well, that's really bad. At least we have the right though. At least people on the right are going to step up and they're going to say, nope, that's ridiculous. The, yes, there are obviously big problems in the urban black community. The cops are not one of them. No, America's not a racist place. That, let's all slow down. One bad incident shouldn't prompt policy changes across. Everybody calm down. Let's stop being absurd. Is that what you heard from the right? No, you didn't. Oh, that's what you heard from me. I know that. But there were about five of us. I watched everybody, politicians and pundits alike, on my side. Oh, well, I mean, I guess we do need uh, the cops. That was bad. I've, the cops really are, have been a problem for a while. Hey, did you, look at my black friend. Do you know I have black friends? I'm Mr. Black People. I love black people. Screw those cops. Oh, where's Tim Scott? T Tim? Tim? Oh, look, we have, a, we have a black senator. Look, look at us. We have a black senator. Oh, He's going to push for federal police reform because we agree the cops suck. They, they are the bad guys. Oh, I remember. Everyone forgets it now. Now, every Tom, Dick, and Harry on the right, every politician, every pundit you find, they're out there trashing Black Lives Matter every, every chance they get. In the wake of St. George Floyd dying, not a peep. Even Trump would not mention Black Lives Matter by name for months after they looted and burned all American cities. The right did what it always does in the wake of a leftist onslaught on their culture. It turtled up and hid under the bed and waited until the winds were blowing better and then it came out and said, this crime is out of control. The narrative got set early and the right once again cowered. And why am I bringing this up now? Put up that screen again, Mr. Producer. Those are real people's lives. When I was screaming about, don't blame the cops, don't defund the police, don't do this bail reform insanity, I was doing that not because I'm harsh, not because I don't care. I was doing that because I do care. Because I knew what the conditions were like in these neighborhoods. I know enough people in these neighborhoods. I knew enough people patrolling these neighborhoods. I knew exactly what would happen to the innocent poor people in these neighborhoods if these anti-cop rules were put into place. I knew death would come in droves and come in droves for the black people everyone pretended to champion last year. Everyone was Mr. Black People. Oh, the cops suck. Where are you now? A direct result of the right once again surrendering the narrative to the left has been black people dying in droves. Remember that.
the narrative early. That's when it matters. Not when it gets comfortable. Not when it's easy. Oh, I don't like Black Lives Matter. When it's hard, that's when you go set the right narrative. And look, I don't know what to tell you. Get out of the cities now. These people, the people who run these cities, they're not looking around at the disaster of their cities and saying, oh, gosh, I really screwed up. You know what? Let's reverse some stuff, guys. They're not saying that. They're looking around and saying, I don't care. Here's Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. I'm disappointed that they're not doing more to take safety uh, and make it a priority. For example, we still have retailers that won't institute um, plans like having security officers in their stores, making sure um, that they've got cameras that are actually operational. Haven't you heard? It's their fault. What are you doing, store? I'm sorry a gang of hoodlums just stormed in and stole all your stuff. Why didn't you have cameras in there? Nothing's going to change because the people who run this place, they don't want it to change. We talk all the time about district attorneys. Let's talk about it. George Soros and other communist billionaires who've stated on the record about their intention to bring the United States of America to its knees, they wait in these DA races until the race is halfway over and then they come in and pour money into the most radical DA they can find to make sure he's going to win. And what do they want out of that DA? What, what are the, what's their goal for that DA? Their goal for that DA is we want them to turn the violent criminals loose. Remember, all this violence, it, it's intentional. That's what they want. They want more people hurt because communism can only ever grow out of chaos and unease and disorder. They want violent criminals out there hurting innocent people. They're not shocked every time they turn some scumbag loose and he ends up hurting somebody or driving over 60 people in a parade in Waukesha, Wisconsin. They don't look at that and say, oops, shouldn't have let that guy out. They look at that and think, oh, perfect. Things are going exactly the way I always wanted them to go. This is planned. This is on purpose. Here's a new DA in Massachusetts, Soros funded. Please make sure that you're in front of my house with my children inside. And you're going to put this on oh, here. This is your house. Yeah, sorry. so as a black woman in this moment in this country, you're going to put my house on the screen? No, 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 ma'am. We're just here approaching you to ask you a question. Get away from my family. Speak to me at my job. If I get hurt or harmed because of this, you are on the record for that. Or my kids are are killed. Who do you think you are? Get, this is private property, get out of here. And you know what I'll do? I'll call the police on you and make an allegation and we'll see how that works with you. So the rantings of a white woman, get you here and scare my children, get off of our private property. And I swear to God, I'm dead serious, I will find your name. You You can ask me somewhere else, do not have a camera in front of my house. I can give you my name. Get her, get them out of here. This is the Boston Police, I will have you arrested. I swear to God. the rantings of a white woman. That's not some protester on a college campus. That's a district attorney. That's the person who looks at crimes and decides, we're going to prosecute this one. Ah, we're not going to prosecute that one. No, we're not going to prosecute. Who do you think that person's going to prosecute? Who do you think that person's going to turn loose from prison? Look, 
District Attorney Larry Krasner of Philadelphia. He's well known by now. Keep in mind, we have over 500 murders in Philadelphia this year. Again, he's not looking at those numbers and saying to himself, oh, I screwed up. He's on the record saying there's not even a crisis. What's your problem? We don't have a crisis of lawlessness. We don't have a crisis of crime. We don't have a crisis of violence. Everything's fine. What are you worried about? Philadelphia only has more murders than New York and Los Angeles this year. But again, it's a crisis for you. It's a crisis for the poor people who are getting slaughtered there. For him, it's not a crisis. Things are going as planned. And the American media, after Soros funds these DAs that turn all the violent crooks loose who burn down their cities, the American media sits back and they cheer it on because they have the exact same thought. Some dude torched a Christmas tree in New York City in front of the Fox News building. Ended up being some homeless guy who's I mean, drugged out, definitely crazy. He did turned out to be some nutball. Well, he's already out. He torched a Christmas tree, arson, downtown New York City. He's already out. No bail. People wonder why my friend Carol Markowitz has already brought up, she wrote a great article, I'd highly recommend you go check it out, about why she's leaving New York. Lifelong New Yorker loves it, and she's leaving. Well, let me tell you something. You need to leave these big cities because there's no indication it's going to get better because the people who are doing this to you do not want it to get better. Things are going the way they want it to go. That's what people have to get through their heads. When they saw Daryl Brooks get cut loose early with virtually no bail, $1,000, and they saw him get in a red SUV and mow down 60 white people in a parade in Waukesha, Wisconsin, they didn't have even a moment where they looked around and thought, oh, is that our fault? Should we change some things? I mean, people are dead. Not even a moment. They looked at that and thought, nice. It's what we've always wanted. And no, I'm not going to stop saying the name Daryl Brooks as much as the American media wants me to forget about the fact that a violent, racist, black nationalist with Black Lives Matter all over his social media got in his car after a days-long media campaign to paint the Rittenhouse verdict as white supremacy. He got in his SUV and mowed down a bunch of white people. No, I'm not going to forget about it. Oh, did you hear? Hate crimes are up significantly in New York. Significantly. Who are the victims? Asians, Jews, and white people. This is all done on purpose and it's critical you understand that. So back to the very beginning. The next time these losers are trying to set a narrative, the cops are the bad guys, maybe, if you're on the right and you're watching this and you have some kind of a platform, maybe you can buck up Buttercup next time and not let them do it. All that may have made you uncomfortable, but I'm right. We have Mark Meadows, Trump Chief of Staff, joining us next. But, tis the season, it's Christmas season, you know what you should get your man or your lady, right? Go to Northwest Retention Systems. How about American-made gear? Custom-made American-made gear. The greatest holster I've ever had in my life, and I've had a lot, it's from Northwest Retention System. My concealed carry holster, Northwest Retention System. My belt, Northwest Retention System. Their slings are incredible, but the sling for my AR, Northwest Retention System. And if you go to nwretention.com, it's 10% off. 
There, I just took care of your Christmas shopping for you. NWRetention.com. I'll be back with Mark Meadows. Joining me now, former congressman, former Donald Trump chief of staff and author of the book, The Chief's Chief, which I would highly recommend, Mark Meadows joins me. Congressman, first and foremost, you're suing Nancy Pelosi and every member of the January 6th committee. You trying to get some money or what? No, actually, I'm just trying to make sure we uphold the Constitution. You know, what what we found is in uh, over weeks and weeks of trying to actually cooperate with uh, the January 6th committee and and uh, help them with non-privileged information uh, while te- uh, while actually protecting the president's executive privilege, we found that uh, they still wanted to delve into a number of discussions that I had with either the president or other senior officials and and uh, uh, and beyond that, just the scope of their subpoenas that we found out about in the last three or four days uh, was just so broad that uh, we felt like that they were not meeting us halfway and actually trying to work uh, in a in a, a way that re- represents and, and supports the Constitution. So we filed the lawsuit, as you mentioned. Uh, uh, I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place. I mean, just to be blunt. Uh, you know, I've got uh, President Trump, who I had the honor of serving as his chief of staff, uh, claiming executive privilege. And uh, I've got uh, a congressional committee that is suggesting that that I, I waive that. It's not my privilege to waive. So uh, that's what courts are for. And, and that's why we fa- file the lawsuit. What is the point of this committee? I, I, I look. I, it's clear this stopped being about January 6th a long time ago. And obviously I realize this is a partisan effort to do something. I can't quite figure out, though, what that something is. What do they want out of all this? Well, I, th- I think it's very obvious to a lot of people. I, I, I can't uh, uh, actually attach a particular motive to the, the members of uh, the select committee because uh, I, I don't know what they're thinking. But I can tell you what other people are telling me. They see this as a partisan effort. This is uh, an effort uh, to do impeachment 3.0, uh, do what they can to actually uh, suggest that uh, President Trump shouldn't run again. And uh, and it, it's sad because uh, a number of us, I know uh, I worked uh, around the clock trying to, to help uh, them out. If it was had a legitimate legislative purpose, uh, obviously we don't condone anything that happened on January 6th. But uh, it, it seems like it's not about January 6th. It's about other agendas. Uh, okay, you mentioned them trying to keep Trump from running again. And obviously that's the gigantic elephant in the room. And no one's going to know the answer to that question until he makes a call. But they just beat Donald Trump. Why would they be so worried about Donald Trump running again? Well, I think, uh, Jesse, uh, you know, there still are questions remaining, as you know, uh, by a lot of people, by no one on the January 6th commission, but certainly by a lot of Americans across the the country in terms of election integrity and where we need to be uh, and how we need to make sure that the ballot box is sacred. Uh, And and the other part of that uh, is is just the sinking poll numbers, as we see for uh, Joe Biden and uh, Kamala Harris, their poll 
numbers uh, among Democrats, unaffiliated, and Republicans alike uh, are on a downward trajectory. And so, uh, you know, perhaps they're looking ahead to 2022 and 2024. Uh, I, all I can suggest is is that. Uh, when you look at the scope of what they're trying to do, and and again, I'm letting my attorneys handle the, the facts of the matter, um, but in what we filed, uh, it, it looks at the constitutionality of it and, and ask uh, in, in the most certain terms for the courts to weigh in on what the law is. Uh, you know, it, it seems to be ambiguous at best, and uh, hopefully uh, the courts will weigh in. I'm going to play a little video from Adam Schiff because I have a question. I think a lot of Americans have this question, too. Here's Adam Schiff. People that have been following the investigation understand uh, the very limited role that the Steele dossier played uh, and also understand that while we may now know that uh, one of his primary sources was lying to him, uh, it doesn't change Donald Trump's corrupt behavior in 2016. Congressman... They took a dossier created by the Hillary Clinton campaign, gave it to the FBI, who then used it as all or part of the reason to get a warrant to spy on the political opponent of then-President uh, Barack Obama to get a FISA warrant. That, that is so out of bounds and such an overstep of government power, and I really do worry, once again, nobody is going to pay the price for that at all. That is an egregious overstepping of power. Well, it, it is, and and uh, Congressman Schiff there talking about how it wasn't, they didn't rely on the dossier, and that was such a small portion of it. Uh, Congressman Schiff knows better, and he knows what central role all of that played in that. If anybody should know, he should know, and uh, it, it's part of that revisionist kind of uh, storytelling, uh, because for the last four years, he's been out there talking about the dossier and Russian collusion, when obviously that wasn't the case. And uh, it's the kind of attacks that President Trump uh, continue to get and, and sadly uh, uh, continue to be modified by some that were pushing that narrative more strongly than uh, anybody else. Can you help me understand what has to be done to clean out the federal government? And I'm talking about the bureaucracy, the State Department, the DOJ, the FBI clearly needs gigantic reforms. If, if Donald Trump runs again, I'm not asking you to comment on that, but if he runs again and wins, is he going to have the authority to do a lot of what needs to be done as far as clearing out this mess? Well, that's a, a, a real great question. And I think probably uh, part of the answer is is it needs real civil service reform. Uh, I, I can tell you a number of, uh, of uh, plans were put in place prior to the November elections that would have uh, greatly modified uh, the way that we look at, at uh, some of the people that serve in government. Uh, we want to make sure that it is one based on merit and based on real ability uh, and certainly not uh, one that that comes with a partisan edge on one side or the other uh, but uh, I you know I think President Trump I put this in in the book the Chief's chief uh, you know President Trump said man I wish we knew then what we know now and that is really all about the fact that the swamp was deeper than we ever thought but it also is about policy and personnel and 
uh, and I can tell you that, uh, that Donald J. Trump is committed to the American people, not to special interests here in Washington, D.C., and I got to see that up close and personal every day. What is the solution? I mean, you're sitting there. You've got a, now you've got a staff a cabinet. Let's say 2024. You got to you got to staff up. You don't want the swamp people who are there forever, but you need someone who's smart who has some level of experience. I mean, where do you even look for people like that? You know, I think that's why really uh, what you have to do is you have to do that planning now. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of very learned and intelligent, uh, capable people in Washington, D.C., but there's also a lot of those that have uh, connections to the way things always have been. And Donald Trump uh, has truly transformed the way that uh, we look at at uh, the conservative movement uh, forever has changed that. Uh, you know, I spell that out in the book, but here's, here's the other interesting point that I'd, I'd like to point out, Jesse. When, when you look at, at actually bringing in people, I'd rather have someone that is totally committed uh, to the American people and to the America first policies that Donald Trump was able to implement in historic ways uh, and, and have them be a little bit less familiar with the way that Washington, D.C. works. I mean, to be frank, Washington, D.C. has been broken for a long time. That's why we had President Donald J. Trump. He identified that. And uh, doing the, the same things the same way actually have not necessarily pushed, pushed great results. Congressman, thank you so much. Wish you the best. Thanks so much, Jesse. Good to be with you. God bless. You too. Good man right there. All right. How you doing on money? Or, or maybe you're fine on money. Maybe you got some time on your hands. Have you thought about flipping homes? And you know what I mean, right? It's, you identify an opportunity, a home you can buy in your area. You buy it, spruce it up a little bit, turn around, sell it for a nice little profit. There are a lot of people in this country who've made a lot of money doing it. You can do it too. You know that, right? Go to FlippingMadeEasy.com. At FlippingMadeEasy.com, you will find a one-stop shop for teaching you how to do it. Maybe you already know everything about it. Maybe you don't know a thing. Doesn't matter. At FlippingMadeEasy.com, if you go there, sign up, use the promo code JESSE with the Platinum Membership, you'll have access to article after article after article. You can become that expert. They have the flipping opportunities in your area already on FlippingMadeEasy.com. And vendors. Vendors are going to be huge. You don't know how to do all that stuff, drywall, electrical. There's something you don't know how to do. You don't have to worry. Vendors in your area, also on FlippingMadeEasy.com. Go there, sign up, promo code JESSE today. We'll be back. I, too, used to work at Facebook. I joined the company after three tours in Afghanistan, helping special operations forces target Al-Qaeda because I believed in Facebook's mission as well, the democratization of information. But I was wrong. It's 2021 and the verdict is in. Big tech is an enemy of the people. Joining me now, somebody who may look familiar to you, Kara Frederick, she is the research fellow for technology policy at Heritage Foundation, which is a nice way of saying she's probably extremely intelligent on most of the issues. Kara. Enemy of the people? Why? 
Yeah, because you look at evidence right now and it's irrefutable. Big tech is going after the little guy. The little guy happens to be of the conservative persuasion now. And that's because academia, Hollywood, big corporations, they're all enthralled to the prevailing leftist ideology, the Biden administration. Clearly, there's a narrative being pushed here. And big tech has found itself in the service of this narrative and unafraid to wield its prodigious power, its prodigious digital power, its prodigious informational power, its prodigious market dominance and market share, that power. It's clearly abusing its concentration of power and they're targeting the little guy. I said in my testimony, you know, the confluence of evidence is irrefutable. People say, oh, conservatives are, they're not targeted, they're just flouting the rules. That's why they're being censored. That's not the case. You look at the media research center's studies uh, and they said, 53 to 1 Republican Congress members are censored compared to Democrats. You look at other studies done in 2019 that said Twitter took politically active prominent users uh, down at a ratio of 21 to 1 when it came to a, a data set of users that were already suspended. 21 of those were professed Donald Trump supporters in 2016. You look at the internal tools that Facebook used in the aftermath of Donald Trump's victory. It suppressed conser very conservative media media reach on its platform. They admitted this. They still use one of those platforms as of October. And, and the list goes on and on and on. And now we actually have the numbers to prove it beyond all of the anecdotes that we're seeing. I defy anyone to see this level of pervasiveness, this level of censorship on the left. Anytime it happens on the left, these platforms, they apologize profusely, and they're usually back on within 24 hours. Never have they censored a sitting Democrat president of the United States, muzzled them up with 17 digital platforms within two weeks in January. Uh, at this point, you can't even argue it. There's, there's a censorship issue, a conservative and heterodox view issue, and it's time that we all wake up and realize that this is actually the case. Kara, help me understand why. Uh, when I think, look, it's not hard for me to figure out why some Hollywood actress would be a nutball communist or, or a college professor or something like that. But when I think about big tech, honestly, I think about sharp, young entrepreneurs out there doing something, making it happen. I, I think capitalism. I think, gosh, that person should be uh, as far right as I am. And yet they're all a bunch of commie nutballs. Y you were there. I've never been there. Why? For sure. And that's why I went in 2016. I thought, you know, these are the captains of industry. These are the people who are doing real things in the world. They're the smartest people among us. And I wanted to walk amongst them. I wanted to be part of all of it. And you get this in the old Silicon Valley, right? There's a libertarian bent to a lot of the programmers and the founders because it consists of actually doing things, doing real things, solving real problems in the world. Uh, I What I think it is, is there's that admin layer that's it's happening everywhere, right? It's happening in, in universities, a layer of admin. It's like the HR people, the people who are, uh, they're zealous, they're ideologues. They're not the ones, they're not necessarily the programmers, but they are the ones making the decisions in what I would call the cost centers of these technology companies. So they're not necessarily writing the code, although they are now influencing how the code is designed, but they are the ones who are more politically minded and less so that, that pure libertarian who just sort of wanted to go out and build things. Think Peter Thiel, he's, I think, the best example of this. Silicon Valley used to look like this, but now, instead, the, the brightest minds from our universities, instead of going to Wall Street, they want tech jobs, and they bring that ideology with them. There's a, there's a litany of reasons why this is happening.
Carol, sometimes, or Carol, I'm sorry, Carol, sometimes I have a hard time figuring out who's actually in charge. And this is what I mean by that. Is the Democratic Party setting a narrative that Facebook follows? Is the media setting a narrative that uh, Twitter follows? Or is Twitter the one actually running things? Are they setting the narrative and then Democrat politicians follow? You, who, who, who's wagging the dog here? I think there's pressure from all sides, right? So there's a vociferous user base that it, you know, wants to be a little more, uh, there's no cultural price to be paid for being a lefty these days, right? Um, So they're coming from the bottom up and those employees as well coming from the bottom up, top down, you have some activist board members, et cetera, who, again, it's like the NBA, it's like Nike, it's like they don't, when they stand up for things, that doesn't even exist anymore. And then from the outside in, right, public pressure, uh, you get a couple people whining that Abigail Schreier's book is in Target on Twitter, and then all of a sudden Target is saying, okay, we got to clear these books from the shelves. So there's a, there's a bunch of press, pressure, some of it internal, some of it exogenous, but also there's there's um, something that I think people and conservatives in particular need to be aware of. And Jen Psaki gave the game away in July when she stood at the White House podium, and she said, the White House, our employees, federal government employees are working with these tech companies to police speech. And then Facebook, within a month, they took down those accounts that Jen Psaki said they were singling out for disinformation, for censorship. So, you know, that when the federal government is working hand in glove with these companies and these companies are complying, that cuts into uh, First Amendment questions. People say these are private companies, they have First Amendment rights too, but the difference between the federal government and private industry when they work together to police speech, that difference is elided. We have to understand that working hand in glove, the government and these private companies to police speech of Americans, that is extremely problematic and it doesn't just take place at the federal level either. Kara, so it sounds like they all just have the same ideology, so they end up working hand in hand, and there isn't necessarily a, 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 a leader of the whole thing. They all hate your guts and hate my guts, and they've all decided they're going to do what they can to, to get us. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. There's no real cultural price to pay, right? When LeBron James says he's all about China and, you know, he doesn't care what genocide they commit or whatever, and when he's in the the thrall to the CCP as well, I mean, what cultural price has he paid? What material price has he paid? None. So I think there is sort of a calculus here, too. Yeah, there's the ideological zealots at the mid-tiers, the mid-levels of these tech companies, but also there's a fact that, oh, if we stand up for free expression and you know make sure that we guard what Jesse Kelly says and his right to say it on our platforms the blowback that you're going to get even if it's from one small faction of obstreperous individuals because we know lefties just they have all the time in the world to scream and cry and protest and whatnot and conservatives are busy actually doing real things and building businesses then when that calculus is being made the the tech what are the tech titans going to do you know they're always going to side with with the the path of lead resistance in this regard. Carol, that was outstanding. Thank you. Appreciate you. Of course. Anytime, Jesse. That was good. She's sharp as hell. All right. Well, you're just going to hang on for what's next. But first, tis the season for insurance shopping. I, 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 and I've been there so many times. 
I know what it's like to have several different tabs open on your phone. You're trying to figure out. It gets confusing, doesn't it? I can't. The, the premiums. What about this deductible? What if there was a company that made it really, really easy and gave you incredible options? It was a faith-based company that shares your values. Oh, and they give back to our veterans every single month. There is. It's called One Share Health. Faith-based company. Your options are endless on their vision, dental, everything, 24-7 telemedicine. It's all right there for you and your family. The, it's, the costs are the best I've seen. And right now when you go to my.onesharehealth.com slash Kelly and use the promo code Jesse Kelly, you get 75 bucks off your enrollment fee. I know that's not, that's, that's, that's not easy to come by right now, especially in these times. Oh, and did I mention... 5% of your monthly goes to those veterans. My.onesharehealth.com slash Kelly, promo code Jesse Kelly. We'll be back. What you're looking at there is obviously a Blue Lives Matter flag. No big deal. I'm sure you've seen them before. Maybe you fly one yourself. Well, it is a big deal because somebody, his name is James Moore. He's a USC professor. He's hanging it outside of his office. College campuses are not exactly thought of as Blue Lives Matter havens these days. So I wanted to bring on James onto the show. One, to thank him for showing some guts. And two... Ask him why. James, I applaud you. I think it's awesome to swim against the tide. Why do this? Why take a bunch of heat? I'm sure it hasn't been lovely for you on a college campus. There's been any number of reasons. Um, I'm worried. I don't like to see the rise in crime that is around us right now. The numbers are pretty stark. So I, and I don't like the Black Lives narrative that uh, Black Lives are in danger from the police. It's not statistically sound. Um, it couldn't be further from the truth. And I'm trying to communicate to my students that, um, in fact, they're not getting the whole story. So it's a, a jumping off point for discussion with my students. You mentioned the narrative. It's funny because I actually opened my show talking about that exact thing, that narrative that everyone was screaming about last year in the wake of that video, which was admittedly awful from Minneapolis. Everyone just decided, it seemed all at once, that the cops were hunting down black men in America. And as you pointed out, there's no statistical evidence for that whatsoever. And yet a huge portion of this society, probably a gigantic portion of your campus, just bought into it. Why were they so ready to buy into it? It was like it was, like was spoon-fed for them. Well, part of it is the messaging they get from the leadership of the institutions. So uh, the virtue signaling... Uh, in 2020 went into high high gear with respect to our leadership, uh, whether it was the president's office or the provosts or the deans of schools. Uh, they were just falling all over each other trying to reinforce this message and the steps that the institution would take to try to protect black students and black lives. Um, the mainstream media uh, reinforced the message. Uh, we do at, try to promote critical thinking here at the University of Southern California, and we still occasionally succeed. Though in that case, um, critical thinking skills of the organization more or less failed. And it's, um, 
largely because the students receive, I think, such consistent messaging that um, they realize it's dangerous to step back. It's, it would be extremely inconvenient to step back and try to, to uh, take a stand or voice uh, questions about whether or not that point of view is really valid. So I think a lot of it was just fear. Right. So it's just a matter of doing what's easy. What, what kind of blowback have you gotten from students or USC itself? Well, it has mounted pretty slowly. I mean, the flag's been up for the entire academic semester. And it wasn't until about um, a month ago that I got some feedback from the campus media, from the um, campus newspaper, that there were students who were unhappy about it. I had not heard from those students. The only students I had heard from were people who had stopped by the office, people I didn't know who noticed it on the office door and knocked on the door and said, thank you for doing that. Uh, but I hadn't heard any any opposition. So um, the opposition was identified in the campus newspaper. And um, then I, and I in, indicated I would talk to any student that wanted about this. In fact, that was, that was the goal. It was one of the objectives. Um, and then I got a, a call from the dean's office in my school um, asking rather politely if I might not take that down. Um, they were a little bit vague about why and you know what the motive was for that call. Uh, it turned out that uh, the impetus had come from the central administration. Uh, I had, and this is typical. If the central administration doesn't like something a faculty member does, they, they filter action through the leadership of the school the faculty member is in. I didn't find out until later that the opposition had come not from where I thought it had probably come from, from the provost's office, but rather from our uh, HR department, which is unusual. Typically, um, HR departments don't get involved in the academic statements of faculty. So um, I did politely decline to take the flag down, and you know we've kept it uh, we've kept it civil. Um, they felt they had to ask or perhaps they wanted to ask. I really didn't quiz them on that point. Um, and they did. And I told them I would think about it. And I was just trying to be thoughtful and polite. And I sent them back an email message that explained why the flag was there and why I didn't want to take it down and why, in fact, I didn't plan on taking it down. Good but for you. The students James Moore, I... No, no, I'm sorry, sir. I, I wish we had a lot more like you out there. I praise you for it. Thank you for doing something that showed some courage. Appreciate you. Pleasure. Pleasure to talk to you, sir. Thank you for the support. All right, we got light in the mood next, but first. Speaking of first, I didn't do that on purpose. You signed up to be a supporter of the First TV yet? Go to thefirsttv.com slash support and sign up. We already have exclusive stuff on there. There's more exclusive stuff coming on demand. Great specials, things you care about. Access to events and things. Go to the, the firsttv.com slash support and sign up today. All right. We'll be back with Light in the Mood, and it's a good one. All right. It's time to lighten the mood. There's something special about moms, isn't there? And I will tell you, as a boy, I enjoyed harassing my mom, too, and it was always out of love. I think you will be laughing your butt off and enjoy this video quite a bit. Don't even 
even do that. This one killed me. <laughs> All right. I'll see you tomorrow. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.